1: This is the Unsportsmanlike Podcast on ESPN Radio.
2: No better story in the NFL right now than the Detroit Lions conference championship weekend going to San Francisco to face the Niners. We are on Sportsman here on ESPN Radio, ESPNU. Aloha, Michelle Smoman, Chris Canty, Evan Cohen. With you joining us now, he is a starting safety for the Lions. Getting ready for his game this weekend. Ifatu Melofan, joins hey. us here on Unsportsman Like. All right, take us into Detroit. After that game, you guys win. You go to the NFC Championship game. Secure your spot. What is Detroit like on Sunday night?
3: Uh, it's crazy. Um, it's just a crazy feeling. It's a crazy environment. Just um, on the field, in the locker room, you step outside, Any anywhere you go outside. Like I was at the Pistons game yesterday, and it was honestly just an unreal and just crazy atmosphere. Afatu, you got to the
0: team in 2021. They were 3-13. and I'm just curious, from then till now, What's been the biggest, I guess, change in terms of your teammates in that locker room having a belief that you guys could get to this point? I mean, just take us from the start of the foundation of what this team was then and to where you are now. What, what has been the biggest, I guess, agent for the culture change that has taken place in Detroit?
3: Um, I feel like it was – mentality that like that was the first thing when coach Campbell came he wanted to change the mentality and to be like a a toughness and and grit mentality Um, and I just feel like after that first year is when people really fully bought in Um, and even that first year though if you look at the way we lost like we lost a lot of games in the last minute so like Our record could have been better than it was, but I feel like everyone just bought in and just seeing the way we lost, we knew that we were right around the corner and then we we had faith. And then last year started slow and then we picked it up and saw how we ended it. So we kind of just like we always had that faith and belief that this season would go like this. So I don't think anyone really anyone in the locker room really doubted it.
4: I wanna stay there with your head coach, Iffy, because we get a little bit of a glimpse of his motivational speaking tactics. And we see the him drinking coffee and talking about biting kneecaps, and clearly you guys respond to that and he helped instill that confidence and that grit within you. But has he ever said anything where you're like, where is he going with this? What is he talking about?
3: Uh, um nah, like all his all his speeches are kind of like that. Um There has been a couple of times where like he'll say something and we're like, where is he going with this? But it'll be funny at the end. Like it'll be funny and we'll all be in the team meeting laughing. But honestly, most of his speeches are like that. I feel like even when he's not even trying, it's just like it just it's like a motivation speech when he's not even trying. Like it's just what he believes and how he feels. And he does a really good job of motivating all of us.
2: Talking with me, Fatu here on, on Sportsmanlike on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. When you, of the Lions, they're starting safety, getting ready for the Niners this weekend. When you think back to what this year has been, did it start last year? Did it start on that Packers game, Sunday night football? It felt like a playoff game. We're all sitting there. Green Bay has a winning in. If you look at the totality of it, is that when this all kind of started for you guys?
3: Mm, No. To be honest, I really think it started before that. I think it started, like I said, we always had that that belief since my rookie year. But I feel like it really started when we got on that winning streak. Um, mm-hmm. We started off one and six, and then we won eight of the last ten. So it wasn't just that Packers game, to be honest. It was it was way before that, because um, we played that Packers game like we was either gonna go to playoffs or we was gonna knock them out. But I just feel like it started way before that.
0: If I too, as you guys get ready for the conference championship game in Santa Clara, what are some of the challenges that you guys have front and center from the San Francisco 49ers offense? What are some of the things that you guys have to specifically do as a defense in order to give your team a chance to win that game?
3: Well, obviously, like what I was saying too much, you know, they're a good team, um, you know, good quarterback. Obviously, Christian McCaffrey, they got good receivers, Kittle and um and their defense is really good. So honestly, like what I was saying too much, it's going to be a challenge on both sides. Even special teams, they're really good. Um, it's just going to be a challenge. We just got to stick to what we know, stick to our coaching, um, you know, I guess limit limit uh, self-inflicted wounds and stuff like that. And I think we'll be all right.
4: I want to talk about your season specifically, Iffy, because you had a really big jump this year. You took a really big uh, step in your growth process. And obviously health always plays a factor in things like this. But what allowed you to make that leap in your career and in your performance this season?
3: Um, It's just a blessing, to be honest. Um, I just thank God that I was able to stay healthy this year. Um, I don't know what, what it was just. I guess it was just me being healthy and just more time on task. Like I always had the ability um, and my teammates knew that my friends and family knew that it's just, I wasn't on the field to really like, to really get to show it. And, and last year I got moved to safety. So when I was getting injured, my like growth process kept getting like stunted as I was switching positions. So um, it's just time on task being on a, Being on the field, everything slowing down, being more comfortable and just confidence growing each and each week.
2: All right. Let's talk about the fun stuff now. The celebrity (laughs) status of all this. You said you were at the Pistons (laughs) game. It was awesome. Has there been Eminem interaction with you and your team? Because we've seen him at all the games. He's doing the hype video. Have you interacted with Eminem at all with all this?
3: Um, yeah, we've seen Eminem, um, at training camp at OTAs. Like he'll come, he'll come to the practices. Um, he hasn't come in a while, but he'll be at the practices and OTAs and training camp. We've taken pictures with them and everything. Um, I don't know when he'll come again, but yeah, we've definitely interacted with him, with him already. If your
0: brother has a Super Bowl championship with the Patriots. I, I mean, right now he's got the bragging rights. How important is it for you to catch <laughs> up and match him with the total number of Super Bowls? I'm just saying that's what's going on. That's what we see. How important is it for you to get a Super Bowl to have bragging rights between you and your brother?
3: I mean, it's not even like me and my brother. It's not really bragging rights. Like, he just supports me, honestly, in everything I do. It's like he, he just wants me to be better than him. And he wants to see me win one. So it's not even really like, like bragging rights. You know what I mean? It's, it's all love coming from there. And just like, he's just happy to watch me grow and come to all these games and support me. So he's, you know, he's just excited as I am, to be honest, to, to get my first one
4: that's beautiful because I would definitely want to keep the bragging rights in the family as long as long as I could I want to ask you about your quarterback Jared Goff we talk a lot about Patrick Mahomes about Lamar Jackson about a lot of these quarterbacks that have been in the playoffs but Jared Goff seemingly is still underrated despite the career that he's put together what kind of a leader is Jared Goff within the Detroit Lions
3: nah he's uh, he's a big leader he's a funny guy I feel like we all like Everyone, everyone loves Jared. Um, He's not like too much of a rah-rah guy, but just like, when you just watch his performances. I feel like he's just so consistent. Week in and week out, you know what you're going to get from him. And he just does a great job of leading our team. And he just feels like he never gets too high. He never gets too low. And he's always like, he's always the same dude. And we can count on him every week.
4: You said he's a funny guy. What do you mean by that? Is he cracking jokes? Is he the prankster in the locker room? Give us a little bit more in a sense of humor because we don't get to see that.
3: Nah, I wouldn't see not a prankster. though. <laughs> I don't think we really have any any pranksters like that. But I don't know. Golf is just funny, man. Like, like he's cool with everyone on the team. Like um, anyone can come up and talk to him and, and he'll just crack some jokes like with the DBs. And Honestly, everyone—I can't think of a specific joke right now—but everyone knows golf. Golf is funny, though.
2: Let's talk about your matchup this weekend for you guys. Brock Purdy is the guy, or Brock Purdy is just another guy?
3: Well, no, he's a good quarterback. I'm not going to say he's just another guy. He's playing in the NFC Championship, um, and he's been there before. So he—he's a good—he's very good quarterback.
2: Boy, that was. You, you say all the right. Are you sure you're not coached by Belichick? <laughs> I'm just saying. Like, <laughs> no, I,
3: I,
5: I'm saying it. I know your brother was.
3: I'm saying it. Go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. No, I'm saying it because I believe it. Like, at this level, or in the NFC Championship. You can't take anyone lightly. Like, they're there for a reason. You know what I mean? I feel like you'd just be stupid to to underestimate anybody. I feel like that's 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 not a good recipe, to be honest.
0: Ife, there are a lot of people that are saying that you guys are playing with house money right now because you're back in the conference championship game. This franchise hasn't been there since 1991. And so everybody's excited. And you guys are one of the feel-good stories for the NFL. I mean, when you hear that kind of talk, what what is your response to it? What are your thoughts about what what you guys have done this season? And essentially, you guys playing with house money going into this game against the Niners.
3: I mean, yeah, I've heard that. And I guess that's kind of like... You know how the fans feel because, you know, they haven't experienced something like this. Um, But for us, like we're trying to go win it. Like it's not just obviously it's exciting to be here and we made it, but we're like we're trying to go win it as well. It's not just like, oh, you know, we made it this far. We're happy. We didn't just come this far to come this far. So, I mean, I I, I get all that from the fans perspective and but we're trying to go get it, though.
2: Well, best of luck this weekend. Thank you for a few minutes here. And obviously, we we're going we're gonna to be following your story as long as it goes here because it's one of the great stories we've seen in the NFL. We appreciate the time.
3: Thank you. I appreciate it.
2: All right, there he is. Ifatou Melefonwu, of course, the safety for the Detroit Lions. I am one of those people that believes they're playing with house money, and I'm going to tell you why. I think when you look at a conference championship game and you think about if they lose, are the coach or the quarterback in question in any way, shape, or form? And for me, absolutely not. If they lose on Sunday at San Francisco, Dan Campbell's the guy. Jared Goff's the guy. If San Francisco loses, Smalls has already questioned the narrative of Kyle Shannon. You've already questioned the narrative of Brock Purdy, CC. If um, Baltimore loses, we know that ridiculously people are questioning Lamar. If Kansas City loses, nobody's going to question Mahomes, but people are going to question whether or not Andy Reid could potentially walk away, retirement, whatever it may be. How are you Hell, question- people
0: are going to ask that question if he wins.
2: <laughs> if he wins, too. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so maybe, but I don't think you can waste years in Mahomes' prime, which sure. they're not, obviously, because they're there. To me, I'm just saying Detroit is such an amazing story, and they've been so awesome that even if they lose this weekend, I'm not crushing Detroit on this. Or I mean, so I I don't know. I kind of look at them as house money. We yeah,
0: m- but I'm with Ife, though. You got to win them when you can win them. Oh, yeah. And they got an opportunity. I mean, you don't have to deal with the Dallas Cowboys or the Philadelphia Eagles, and... Essentially, all you had to do was take care of business at home against the Rams and the Bucks, two teams that were fighting to get in in Week 18, and then you you have one matchup with the San Francisco 49ers in order to punch your ticket. Hey man, it's all out there. It's all out there. You got to take advantage of, and you got a quarterback that's more experienced in these moments than the 49ers do. That's the other part of the game.
4: Yeah, and a team that could be banged up, like they might be more vulnerable than you expected them to be if we were looking previously at the at the beginning of the playoffs. I also think we thought the Lions could be here at the beginning of the season. Yes. There were expectations on this team. We can't just let the laundry and the history continue to cloud our viewpoint of the talent on this team. We thought they would win the division. We thought they would be a playoff team. So they need to go out there and get it done. I, I think the expectations are high on them.
2: Yeah, yes, but I did not think there'd be an NFC title team, NFC championship game team, and obviously they are there. We mentioned the Eagles. There's some news about the Eagles. They made a move with one of their coaches. Not necessarily who you think. We will get to that coming up. It's on Sportsmanlike on ESPN Radio.
5: Have you ridden an electric e-bike yet? You need to check out electric e-bikes today, the number one selling e-bike in America. Two things stand out that bikers love about electric. Number one, the majority of their models come pre-assembled, so you don't need to be a bike savant to ride them. Number two, electric wants to empower riders to spend more time exploring outside on their bikes, so they've made range a priority.
2: This is the
1: Unsportsmanlike podcast on ESPN Radio.
2: Well, the Eagles have made a move. We're Unsportsmanlike on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance, ESPNU. Hello, Michelle Smallman, Chris Canty, Evan Cohen with you. It is not the move that I think a lot of Eagles fans necessarily were hoping for. Sorry. Uh, It is not your head coach. Offensive coordinator Brian Johnson looks like he has been uh, let go. The report from uh, Derek Gunn uh, was the initial reporter on this. And this is now the second straight offseason. Different reasons. The Philadelphia Eagles are looking for a new offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator. Last offseason... For all the right reasons. You go very far. You go to the Super Bowl. You get both of your coaches hired by NFL teams as head coaches. Jonathan Gannon, your defensive coordinator, gets the Arizona job. And Shane Steichen, your offensive coordinator, gets the Indy job. In this case, you went through two defensive coordinators during the season. Sean Desai gets fired. Matt Patricia, contract expired. He's out. Now, Brian Johnson, offensive coordinator, who had interviewed for t- for head coaching jobs with different teams. He's now not going to be brought back. And we are awaiting the big pressure tomorrow between Sirianni... And uh, the general manager, uh, Howie Roseman in Philadelphia. Second straight year, two new coordinators, guys.
4: Yeah, my first thought is about Jalen Hurts and how having another coordinator is going to impact him and his progression. We see a, a lot of times with young quarterbacks that having that churn at the signal uh, impacting the way that they go out there and their scheme and all of that. I just wonder how this might impact him moving forward have yet another coordinator there
0: yeah it's really curious to me what's happening right now in Philadelphia because it feels like it's a consolidation of power with Howie Roseman right now their general manager because this situation in keeping Nick Sirianni as the head coach but getting rid of all of his lieutenants and then all of a sudden going out and getting Frank Reich potentially as your offensive coordinator or hiring Ron Rivera potentially as your defensive coordinator it just feels like they're flanking Nick Sirianni with former head coaches and strong personalities, but it only serves to make sure that the most important and most powerful figure when it comes to decision-making power within that organization ends up being Howie Roseman. All right, let's
2: play a round of
0: NFC East Choose Your Own Adventure.
2: This is what I would like for you guys to answer. Which one would you rather? Would you rather be a lame duck coach, one year left on your deal, but allowed to do it exactly how you want to do it, Or have years left on your deal with two former head coaches brought in as your coordinators. I'd rather be Mike McCarthy.
4: Me too. I'd rather do it my way.
0: I'd rather do it my way. So you want Sinatra? You want to go Sinatra? I mean, think about it. If if this team struggles at all this year, Dallas, you're saying? No, I'm not talking about Dallas. I'm talking about if the Philadelphia Eagles struggle, they are going to fire. Nick Seriani in the middle of the season and elevate one of those coordinators because both of both of them have previous head coaching experience. Both of them have been head coaches at multiple places. If those are the two, which we're
2: assuming that they will hire. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just yeah.
0: throwing it out there. It just feels like this this feels like a situation where they're they're teeing it up for, you know, Nick Seriani to be the fall guy if this team doesn't reach expectations And and if that's going to end up being the case, if the leash is going to be that short, then why even allow him to come back and be your head coach in 2024? That's the part that doesn't make any sense to me.
4: I can't figure it out either because there are a lot of interesting candidates out there right now that would probably be very interested in your head coaching position, given the talent that you have. And if you're going to set him up to potentially have a quick release then why not just make the move now? Like, don't go the Brandon Staley route where you're waiting for him to fail yet again.
0: Well, let me ask you a question, Smalls, because we've been operating under the assumption because of the talent on the roster, the the draft picks, the cap space, that the Eagles would be an attractive job. But how attractive is it when you've seen their general manager, Howie Roseman, fire Doug Peterson two years after winning the Super Bowl, fire Nick Sirianni a year after going to the Super Bowl and making the playoffs in all three years he's been the head coach? All of a sudden, how attractive is that job to a prospective candidate? That's the part that I'm not quite sure on because, again, I go back to the Chip Kelly years in the mid-2010s. Howie Roseman was a figurehead. He he had no power. Chip Kelly had final say over the roster. Chip Kelly coached it. It was all his people. Everything that was done in the organization was Chip Kelly. Once Chip Kelly was removed, Howie Roseman got that power back, and and it feels like he is never, ever you know, been collaborative in terms of sharing some of that power in order to, you know, put the team in the best position to have sustained success. Now, they've run into it with some really good decisions that they've made as an organization. Sure. You know, I mean, they paid Carson Wentz. Wasn't a great decision, but you drafted Jalen Hurts. That offset that. You know what I mean? You went out and you made the swing. You got A.J. Brown. You took Jalen Hurts to a different level. Nick Sirianni had a really good staff that he built out, so you benefited from that and going to a Super Bowl. Now it feels like the part where you're curious as to whether or not Howie Roseman, even if he were to move on from Nick Sirianni, could get his pick of the head coaches that he would think could take this team back to a Super Bowl. I'm not quite sure that that ends up being the case, especially if you're a coach that has options.
4: Going back to that Super Bowl put the deodorant on a lot of that situation with Doug Peterson too because if you remember there were there was a lot of tension there was a lot of politics internally there was a battle over Carson Wentz I remember the reporting coming out afterwards about how Doug Peterson was questioned all the time about how uh, the GM and ownership were involved in the decision making and there, there was a lot of friction and not a lot of cohesion there and they chose to move on from him Bringing in Nick Sirianni and going to the Super Bowl in short order does a lot to help us forget about that. But then if you kind of have the cycle repeat itself yet again with Nick Sirianni, even with a lot of talent, I think we're looking at that job a little differently.
2: Here's the craziest thing. Maybe the worst team in the NFC East has the best job right now. And I can't believe I'm saying that. The Commanders? Think about it. Yeah. Philly and Dallas are significantly better than the Giants and the Commanders. Nobody's arguing that. But Dallas, we have portrayed that job, I think, fairly as Mike McCarthy is not getting a vote of confidence. He's just allowed to finish his contract right now.
0: And now now you have infighting with your leaders in the locker room. Well, their families, too. uh, And
2: and the Eagles were portraying this as, we're going to really work hard to bring in your replacements next to you, and you're going to have to watch as they try to, not try to actively, but potentially replace you. So Washington, new ownership, Bob Myers, former Warriors executive, now our teammate at ESPN, brought in to consult, which means how do you bring joy to the franchise? And I use that word specifically because that is the pillar of the Warriors. They want joy within the franchise. And you have the number two pick in the draft, and you have a a, a whole new way of going about things. Meanwhile, Brian Dayball, head coach of the Giants, has... In fighting last year with his defensive coordinator, they don't really have the solution at the quarterback position. And oh, by the way, the greatest coach of all time in Bill Belichick is sitting there. And I have always believed as a Belichick lifer, the only other coach, if he ever left the Patriots willingly, which he did not, if he ever left the Patriots willingly, that he would ever want a, t- a coach on the only other team would be the Giants. So maybe the commanders are just the job you want in the NFC East right now. The job, not the team. And there's a difference, right, when you say that.
0: But that team is not that far off, though.
2: You thought maybe with a senior quarterback playing. I don't think that team is that, that far off. Team.
0: I don't think that team is that far off. So are you uh,
2: in agreement? Best job in the NFC East maybe that job?
0: I'm not going to say it's the best job because you, you're, you're still a ways off when it comes to the overall talent. But if I'm buying stock in these teams over the next five years – I'm loading up on Commander stock. Yeah, buy low, buy low. I'm I'm loading up on Commander stock. Yeah, if we're talking longevity. Yeah, if we're talking the next five years, yeah, I'm buying up Commander stock right now. Maybe the
2: better way of saying it is. Whoever is going to be the coach of all four of those teams in the NFC East to start game one next year, I have to say to you, which one is the most likely to be there five years from now? It's whoever's the commander's coach. No
0: doubt. I completely agree with that wholeheartedly. I'm buying stock on that Wholeheartedly. Very quickly, I want
2: to answer one other question. We asked about the Eagles, if it's an attractive job, and it immediately took me to something that Adam Schefter said with us in the 7 a.m. Eastern hour today about why organizations may be tentative when it comes to Belichick.
6: You know, when you're hiring Bill Belichick, you're getting the greatest coach in league history, but you're also getting, okay, well, he wants his system and he wants his guys and he wants it his way. And that might not necessarily make everybody, uh, or that might not be as appealing to certain people in an organization as it would be others. So, you know, there are a lot of voices that have a say about whether an individual is hired. Um, Would some of them feel threatened if Bill were in the building? Would some of them be as comfortable? Would some of them be, welcome to all the changes that he would implement these are questions that are going on
2: that may be your answer as to why the philadelphia eagles are not making a change because they don't want someone else coming into the building to take over That's exactly it
4: i i went back and found the article in the athletic that did a great job of chronicling the the ending of doug peterson there and i'm just going to read you one quote and you tell me if this sounds like a place bill belichick would like to be Doug Peterson was ridiculed and criticized for every decision, one source source told The Athletic. If you won by three, it wasn't enough. If you lost on a last-second field goal, you're the worst coach in history. That's what was coming to Doug Peterson internally about the results.
7: We're on Sportsmanlike on ESPN Radio.
1: This is the Unsportsmanlike podcast on ESPN Radio. It's time for Canty's NFL Power Rankings.
2: Along with Michelle Smallman, Chris Canty, Evan Cohen with you. We are Unsportsmanlike, presented by Progressive Insurance, ESPN Radio, ESPNU. CeCe's got his top five players to keep an eye on this weekend that don't play the most important position in all of sports.
0: Yes, and I've been told by our fearless leader, Nuno, our producer, that I have to run through these power rankings. So I'm going to make this... I feel like you're speaking slow on purpose. I'm going to make make this quick... No, I'm not going to do... I'm not going to sandbag this segment. I'm going to do this quickly. I'm going to move through, or as he said, roll through the power rankings. So, Javante, (laughs) if you would... Number five. Chris Jones, defensive tackle for the Kansas City Chiefs. A lot of people know him for his pass rush prowess. But in conference championship game weekend... They're going to need his ability to be able to stop the run. That Chiefs front seven got bullied pillar to post. Whenever opposing team runs the ball 40 times for over a buck 80, you got problems. The the Baltimore Ravens number 1 rush offense in the National Football League, they've got their work cut out for them to stop the run. You better believe that Baltimore is going to test them early and often when it comes to ability to slow down the ground game. So Chris Jones, you're going to have to step up and stop the run in order to earn the right to rush the passer. Next Number four. I'm in Ross St. Brown. I get that everybody talks about Tyreek Hill. Everybody wants to talk about CeeDee Lamb and rightfully so those guys were great. But I'm in Ross St. Brown was second in catches in the National Football League, third in yards, third in receiving first downs. This guy is a big play waiting to happen. The most impressive part about how he does what he does, he's second in yards after catch only to CeeDee Lamb. This guy's phenomenal with the ball in his hands. You can put him at X, you can put him at slot, you can put him at the Z. And he is, he is going to make plays. He's versatile in that way. And that makes it tough for opposing defenses to lock in on him. San Francisco 49ers, if they're vulnerable anywhere on that defense, it's in the back end. So, Amon Ross St. Brown could be a big play waiting to happen on Sunday night in Santa Clara. Next, Number three, Christian McCaffrey from the San Francisco 49ers went over a buck 20 yards from scrimmage in that game against the Green Bay Packers. And you saw Christian McCaffrey in the second half become more and more of a factor as the 49ers mounted their comeback. His ability to be the hammer, the physical identity of the San Francisco 49ers offense is absolutely critical because they rely on the threat of the run game for Brock Purdy to do work with play-action passing. So Christian McCaffrey is the head of the snake when it comes to that 49ers offense. It ain't Brock Purdy. It's number 23 in the backfield. Next. Number two. Travis Kelsey. I mean, I thought Travis Kelsey was washed up during the regular season, had some drops Down the stretch in the regular season, that seemed uncharacteristic, but he stepped up in a big way when Pat Mahomes needed him too. When they had very little margin for error going up against the Buffalo Bills on the road for the first time in Mahomes' career, Kelsey dominated. I mean, two touchdown catches was just absolutely phenomenal. Travis Kelsey is seven catches away from breaking Jerry Rice's all-time postseason receptions record. He's not far off in yards, and he's not far off in touchdowns either. So Travis Kelsey is... I mean, a big-time postseason player, and they're going to need him to be big-time going up against the best defense in all of football this Sunday in Baltimore. Next.
1: Number one.
0: Roquan Smith. Since the Raiders traded for him in the middle of 2022, they've had the best defense in the NFL. I don't believe that's coincidence. I just think that's causation, correlation. Roquan Smith. Whether you want to look at defensive EPA, defensive efficiency, uh, points per game, yards allowed, the Baltimore Ravens have had the top defense during that span, and it's been because of number zero, but he should be number one on everybody's list when we start talking about impactful defensive players and impactful players that are non-quarterbacks this weekend. This guy is absolutely phenomenal. There's a reason why the Ravens were triple crown winners defensively this year. They led the league in points. They led the league in yards. They led the league in sacks. And they led the league in turnovers. I mean, this is a dominant defense, and it's because of Roquan Smith sitting in the middle of it. I ain't going to say he's Ray Lewis, but he ain't far off. So, Smalls, that is the list of most impactful non-quarterbacks conference championship game weekend. Roquan Smith, number one. Travis Kelsey, number two. You got Christian McCaffrey, three. Amon Ross St. Brown, number four. Chris Jones, number five. You're my accountability partner. Any objections, any omissions?
4: Well, first of all, your accountability partner. I just want to give you props. You ran through all of that with a quickness, with all the stats, everything. You didn't even look at your notes one time. <laughs> this was an unbelievable performance. Our man was in his bag here. Love the list. The only thing I would say is I would put Travis Kelsey number one on the list just because Patrick Mahomes' other weapons haven't necessarily been reliable for him all season long, and we know that connectivity he has with Travis Kelsey. And without that, I just don't know if the Chiefs are going to be able to get get it done.
2: I would also add one other thing because as long as we're going X's and O's inside football, which obviously CC knows better than anyone, San Francisco and Baltimore are both the number one seeds. Both have one position that most teams in the NFL no longer have.
0: Fullback? Fullback.
2: Kyle. Patrick Hard Patrick Ricard. Patrick Ricard.
0: Patrick Card is a, is a mountain of a I'm man. just saying,
2: if— <laughs> and, I mean,
0: he's a fullback of the half. He's a 300-pound fullback, dog. He can play D tackle To me, it's no coincidence. Good luck. Bring it's Imagine no to, to tackle him when no. he catches a pass no. in the flat. No.
2: <laughs> I think it's a really important position for— Like, if you think about some of these good teams over the course of time, they still use, not every down, but at times, a fullback. And the Niners use a fullback really well, and the Ravens use a fullback really well. So as long as we're talking about the non-quarterbacks, which I always vow to never do— but I just did, and I brought up fullbacks here. And I don't think – I think they should be just acknowledged. Uh, Matt in Nashville listening on Sirius XM Channel 80 joins us here on Unsportsmanlike on ESPN Radio.
6: Hey, guys. Good morning. Uh, first and foremost, Chris, uh wah buddy. Big hey. fan, huge player, huge fan of you uh, as an analyst until this morning.
3: Oh. <laughs> I, I just, I,
6: you're, you're way off on Josh Allen. It was Josh. a good run. Good oh, run. It was way good off run. On Josh Allen. Now, hear, hear me out. Hear me out. We can appreciate the greatness that is Josh Allen, but recognize he's not Patrick Mahomes. And I think we can't—you know—we we can differentiate between the two, right? A quarterback's job is to elevate the people around him, make them better. Josh Allen did that. They did not come through for him. He had three bombs that he put out there on a platter. And the one spot where Buffalo may have had the advantage was wide receiver one. And Stephon Diggs came up small. I don't ever want to hear him complain about not getting the ball in big moments because he failed when it mattered the most. And then he set up the kicker for a a 40-yard chip shot. He missed it. It's all about moments. Nobody mentions the dime he threw at the front of the end zone to take the lead. And one thing. If Mahomes loses that game because of the McCall Hardman fumble through the end zone, are we going to bash Mahomes? No, we're going to make the, not excuse, the fact that that play mattered. Okay, Buffalo's got to step up. they got to help Josh Allen. He did everything he could, maybe left one or two plays that he could have had on the field. That does not mean he's not great. He's not Mahomes, but he's certainly on the Burrow and Lamar Jackson level. In fact, he's had significantly more success postseason-wise than Lamar. And that's it. Hey, buddy, guys, love you very much. Appreciate you. Appreciate the show. I'll hang
2: up. All right. I mean, that was, I don't agree with everything he said. But that no, was a I fair, don't agree with
0: anything that he but said. But that was
2: at least a fair, reasoned, logical, hey, I'm going to explain it this way kind of take. But again, when you're putting it on the same level as Burrow and Lamar, that's when you lose me. Because that's
0: when you lose me. And here's the other thing. We talked about Josh Allen making great plays in that game. We talked about the throw to Khalil Shakir at the end of the third quarter in the front pylon of the end zone. We talked about that. We did. It's not like we didn't mention it. I'm not sitting here blaming Josh Allen for their loss. What I'm saying is the head coach gave Josh Allen the ball in the fourth quarter and said, hey, go win the game, and he couldn't win the game. That's what I'm saying. In those situations, that's what Andy Reid does to Pat Mahomes, and guess what? They go out there and they win the
4: game. Time and time again.
0: You know know Pat Mahomes' record when trailing by seven in a postseason game? It's eight and two. When trailing by seven in a postseason game, his record is eight and two. Tom Brady's record when trailing by seven in a postseason game, 10 and 11. Joe Montana's record when trailing in a postseason game by seven, four and six. That shows you how great Pat Mahomes is. Josh Allen ain't even close.
2: As I said, I think he's underrated. (laughs)
0: Like, stop, let's just stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop, stop with the excuse making for Josh Allen, okay? Stop it. He walked in, it's not like he walked into a dysfunctional situation. Ev, as we were saying during the break, Josh Allen was drafted to a team that made the playoffs the year before. He was drafted in 2018. The Buffalo Bills made the playoffs in Sean McDermott's first year with Tyrod Taylor as the starting quarterback in 2017. That happened. That's, his, that's the history. That's the context around it. So he picked up where they left off. Essentially. Well, he got them to one round deeper, the divisional round. That's where, that's where they seem to tap out. Okay. That's where they're at.
2: Coming up on Sportsmanlike Moment of the Day and Best Bet next on Sportsmanlike ESPN Radio. Who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com.
1: This is the Unsportsmanlike Podcast on ESPN Radio. We survived a terrible, terrible moment in our history. The most unsportsmanlike moment of the day. That was terrible. Was not a great look.
2: The most unsportsmanlike moments of the day here on ESPN Radio, Alone, Michelle Smallman, Chris Canty, Evan Cohen with you, which have been, of course, CC's
0: best bets. Yes. Another heartbreaker last night. <laughs> what a surprise. No, another, no, this was a heartbreaker. Wait, what did you pick? I already forgot. No, so we had Giannis over 11 and a half boards, we had the Bucks winning by nine and a half points. Yeah. It was nine and a and half? And they we, won by and nine. And we had Damian Lillard Jeez. under 38 and a half combined points, rebounds, and assists. And we checked two of the boxes, and the one we didn't get was the point spread.
4: No. Because
0: Marcus Sasser hit a bucket with less than a minute to go, and it made it, instead of an 11-point win for the Bucks, it was a nine-point win.
4: Oh, my God. And we gosh. had it at
0: nine and a half. It's a heartbreaker. Heartbreaker last night, but... We're going to get back on the horse.
4: Hold on. You know what this tells me? What's that? You're due.
0: I'm due. I'm due. You what are. What about the due. last 100 losses he I'm, had? I'm in due. A row. I'm due. But he,
4: when he's that I'm close, due. he's due. I'm due. He's due. I'm due. I'm
0: going to break through. He's I'm like the it. Dallas Cowboys right now. Oh, don't. I'm going to break through. I like the
4: Philadelphia. We're going to break through. How about this? You're the Detroit Lions.
0: We're the Detroit Lions. It's been a slump. It ain't been thirty years, more like thirty days. But we're gonna break through. Let's
4: not say the Cowboys. It, it's
0: gonna ha- it's gonna happen. It's actually gonna happen for us. <laughs> okay, I don't think do it. it's gonna happen for let's the Cowboys. It. It'll happen for us.
4: So we're gonna go back
0: to the association. Denver Nuggets on the road taking on the Indiana Pacers. Okay. So far the Nuggets two and one on this road trip. I Nikola Jokic coming off of a forty-two point outburst in their last win. I am gonna go with the Denver Nuggets on the money line to win this game. And I'm going to go with Jokic over 10 and a half rebounds. So we got the Nuggets on the money line, Jokic over 10 and a half rebounds. Remember, no Tyrese Halliburton tonight for the Indiana Pacers. So I'm anticipating that the Nuggets should be able to take care of business. And I think Jokic is going to have a big game if for no other reason. We saw the 70 point game that Joel Embiid had last night. Mm-hmm. Those two you know, friends from afar, fans from afar. I have a feeling that Jokic is going to have a big game. So that's why we're going over the 10 and a half points.
2: That's an interesting one because I, I think back in our day, to make us feel old, that motivation was there for players. Like, oh, my, my peer, my rival did something. I want to try to top him. I think Embiid would try to top Jokic. If you go into pregame media with Jokic tonight and said, hey, what do you think about Embiid 70? He may not know. He just doesn't care. He's an amazing athlete of, like, when he says, I don't know what's going on, I actually believe him. Oh, for sure. I don't think he pays attention to any. He legitimately may have no idea that Joel Embiid had 70 last
4: night.
0: Oh, no, he has an idea. He knows Embiid had 70. That's all anybody is talking about at this point. He knows Embiid had 70. Nobody but I could that. see someone
4: telling him this Somebody morning.
0: told him that Embiid had yeah. said last Right, but that, he's like, not... Yes, okay. Somebody told him that. Fine, fine. Yeah. But
2: he's paying less attention in, a, in an unbelievably healthy way more than most of us. Yeah, I think say. he couldn't care less. Yeah. Um, now... That wasn't the only uh, big night last night, unsportsmanlike moments of the day. So, Joel Embiid had 70 points in a win against the Spurs. Well, Carl Anthony Towns had 62 points last night for the Minnesota Timberwolves, who were 30 and 13 on the season, but they lost by three points to the Hornets, who were 10 and 31. Now, Carl Anthony Towns' name has not been mentioned on this show, maybe ever, or maybe in months, <laughs> right? And that is for good reason, because I've heard, whether it's Zach Lowe, Brian Windhorst, Tim Bontemps, Tim McMahon, any of the great podcasts we have, Low Post and Hoop Collective, have mentioned the Timberwolves, and they've talked about, you know what, give Carl Anthony Towns credit, because he's kind of accepted, this is Anthony Edwards' team, and he's taking a back seat. Well, last night he dropped 62, and it seems like there was maybe an effort to get him <laughs> those points, to which the head coach, Chris Finch, post game. Not thrilled with what was happening with the Minnesota Timberwolves.
3: Well, I mean, it was an absolute disgusting performance of defense and immature basketball um, all the way through the game. So it really didn't slip away. It had been there from the jump. So this is what happens when you uh, have this type of approach. Uh,
2: He's alluding to the idea of trying to get the one guy the amount of points. Were you ever in a spot, Cece, where you were ever on a team where you felt like, oh, everybody's just trying to help this one guy get some sort of record?
0: Uh, no, no, I don't remember that. I do remember that time when the New York Giants were playing the Green Bay Packers, and Brett Favre gave Michael Strahan the assist on setting the all-time tackle record. How would you have felt point. about that if
2: you were straight? Oh, I would.
0: I mean, if I'm straight, I feel great about it. <laughs> I, I mean, care. my name is in the history books. I don't care how I get it. Yeah. I mean everybody loved that. I mean even players on Green Bay I'm sure felt good about it. Hey man, I mean if it's going to happen, go ahead and, you know, let 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 him set the sack record and be done with it. It's a pretty cool accomplishment. Yeah. Franchise record,
2: 62 points for um for Carl Anthony Towns, but it seems like that the the effort was obviously towards that. Now, the next one, I did not hear. I have to be honest on this. Nuno our producer said this is so funny, you got to hear this. So let's hear Patrick Waugh, all-time great goalie, now the coach of the Islanders, talking about analytics. We don't like analytics when, th- when you're in the bottom of the league, and we like it when we're in the top of the league. So that's pretty simple. Analytics. I- analytics is not an easy word to say all the time. <laughs> you screwed up saying analysis. We have an intro of CC screwing up saying analysis. That's a hard word.
0: Well, you got to bring up old stuff?
2: Well, because we, it's new every week.
4: He said <laughs> analytics.
2: Yeah, right. Play it again, Nuno, Javante, if you could. Analytics, I believe, is what he said. We don't like
0: analytics when th- when you're in the bottom of the league, and we like it when we're in the top of the league. So that's pretty simple.
4: I kind of like it.
0: I like, like it. Analytics. Analytics. I like it. I like it. Like it should be said as analytics
2: because it
4: it kind of does give people a ticking feeling. You know, people really get bothered by analytics. Mm, okay. So All it right. seems like it could be the new way to say it. All, All right.
0: right. I like it. I like it. My last. Patrick
4: Waugh says it? Yeah. Who am I to tell him no?
2: My last unsportsmanlike moment of the day. I'm not saying we're not going to discuss it tomorrow. But for those who don't know, and I would be one of them until midway through the show, Major League Baseball tonight is announcing the Hall of Fame inductions. That's great. Great careers, whatever. The Hall of Fame is ridiculous. We all know with Bonds, Clemens, not in, et cetera. Um. Why tonight, just so I understand this? Like, why in, like, the heart of football season? Just to, like, make sure that nobody talks about it? Like, what am I missing here? Smalls, you are Miss Baseball.
4: I can't understand. I have have nothing for you. Nothing for you in the defense of baseball. (laughs) Maybe to get it done before... Like, we want to get this out of the way? training starts. I just feel like baseball constantly gets in their own way. And as someone that loves baseball and defends baseball all the time, I would not think it is a wise decision leading into the conference championship weekend, which is arguably the second biggest weekend in the NFL schedule, that it would be a good time on a Wednesday, no less, to have people wanting to talk about the, the Baseball Hall of Fame. They're going to do it on a Tuesday night and we're going to talk about it on a Wednesday. It just really doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So in
0: a perfect world, where should baseball move it if in fact they do want to get it in before spring training?
4: You could do it anytime after the Super Bowl. <laughs>
0: I've had the I mean, first day of spring but the, training. But that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I think that's what So you, you have, have a big do. launch date. You celebrate that sport. Like, yeah, when pitchers and catchers report, like yeah. that's when you announce, that's how you'd have to do it, right? Also,
4: come on, even if they did it during spring training, it's a better time to do it. Exactly. Not Who's like, talking about spring training that much? Come exactly.
0: on. Exactly. I'm with you on that one, a thousand percent. Yeah,
4: but in the, theory, the and the there's, a, Marlins, there's only and so much grapefruit league and cactus
0: league that you're going to take. Yeah, exactly.
2: But there at least could be a launch for it. Like, the other thing is that I don't understand. NBA, NFL, Have great launch days for free agency. Oh, totally. It's awesome. Baseball's launch for free agency is when exactly? Just like when it starts...
4: They need to do a better job of promoting themselves all around, whether it's their players or whether it's their big milestones. Baseball does not do a great job of the pomp and circumstance that the NFL does. The NFL has owned that, and baseball needs to follow their lead.
2: I'll give you two other things now that we're talking about this for unsportsmanlike moments. The Hall of Fame induction ceremony, the actual ceremony of putting people in the Hall of Fame happens during games it's on a Sunday afternoon in the summer there are other games going on can you imagine if the NFL did that like during an actual game and and the draft which is obviously not that big of a deal also not at a prime you're not even trying to make it into something
4: the NFL has done a better job hyping up their schedule release it's huge than baseball has done with something like the hall of fame
2: I was literally on emails the other day about when the schedule release is going to be for planning purposes see Nuno had to remind me during the break. Hey, by the way, Hall of Fame inductions tonight. And I was like, football? He goes, no, baseball. He <laughs> said I always thought football was during Super Bowl weekend or right before that. I mean, it's unbelievable one thing after another. Greenie, coming up next. We are on to Wednesday. We're on Sportsman Light. Honey, I just get
1: for listening to the Unsportsmanlike podcast on ESPN Radio. You can listen to Unsportsmanlike live weekdays from 6 to 10 a.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and on SiriusXM Channel 80. You can also watch on ESPN2 and on ESPNU. Unsportsmanlike with Evan Canty and Michelle.